and they were actually having the conversation which I think defines our generation which is you know Sam Harris Lawrence Krauss um, that side of the argument says hey we can pull out spirituality and ritual and morality all these things we can pull that out of religion and God and move forward as humanity basically saying that the anxiety that we create for ourselves is when we're out of alignment with reality and so a lot of what he's trying to do is just get people back to reality and a lot of times one of the biggest things that people are doing that are, is pushing against reality is trying to change other people you're, you're trying to control the actions of others and you put so much time and so much energy into trying to make these changes to other people that you can't do it's impossible and so you're just working yourself up into a state of anxiety over and over again. My big thing is let's stay away from fundamentalism and nihilism and let's kind of unite whatever you are, spiritual atheist, deconstructed Christian, nuanced Mormon, whatever the thing is. As long as we're collectively fighting nihilism and fundamentalism, I think that needs to be the focus. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So the thing that I am really passionate about really excited about I, I i love talking to people who are at that place where they're like i'm ready to look at me mm. I, i'm ready to look at me i'm ready to look at how all of these things have impacted me and i i want to see how i'm processing information and and these habits of thinking the way that we've been wired th these are these are neurons in our brain that are living things that are communicating with each other. They're playing a game of telephone or telegraph or grapevine. You know, they're sending synapses over and over and over and over and over again. And and we can change them. Like we 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 could like like a shepherd. is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. You want someone to preach to. The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. You want religion, do you? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 829 no-Nonsense Spirituality with Britt Hartley, Part 2. Because what better way to follow up a five-part series chock-full of Arcturian channeled nonsense than another discussion with Britt Hartley about no-nonsense spirituality, right? It's exactly how I planned it. <laughs> and I started off this conversation wondering just how much I have left in the tank for Infants on Thrones, the podcast, not actual Infants on Actual Thrones. I, I love them. I mean, I could never have enough of the Thrones of the Infants. But as we're wrapping up 2022, I'd like to ask you listeners, would you like to see Infants on Thrones continue into 2023? 
I almost don't want to know the answer to that question, but I actually do. So shoot me an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com and let me know if you're there or not. That's all. Thanks. Hang on and your glasses, because this here's a wildest ride in the so let why why don't why don't you say the first words here, Britt, as I'm recording now. You're you're giving you're giving me guidance and <laughs> counseling because I'm in a <laughs> bunk. Well we were okay, so we were talking off air about we were talking off air about kind of this podcast and where do you see it going. And uh people don't realize that when you're a podcaster, there's this kind of relationship between where you're at as a podcaster and hopefully resonating with your audience. And so people will come and go from your podcast and and you'll change. Um and so we were just kind of talking about Mormonism in general, how it feels like if we were to take Mormonism as one person, like one collective group, like five years ago. I feel like we were all consuming Mormon history podcasts. We wanted to unpack polygamy. We wanted to know what was going on with the Book of Abraham. We just we want we needed to understand it. The new and essays then, on LDS.org. Oh, like like th- collectively, it's like we were all listening to podcasts, all sending yeah. each other podcasts, really just trying to understand our Mormon experience. And then now it feels like the mood has shifted in the sense of okay. I've gotten a sense of of Mormon history and kind of my story as part of that bigger story and where do I go next? And so us as podcasters are kind of in this place where, okay, you know, I'm going to go play over here and some people kind of resonate with that. A lot don't. And so I was just kind of asking you if you were to kind of go to a what's next or what's calling you next or what excites you next, where would you... Where would you, what are the conversations that still excite you for this for this podcast? Well, th- this podcast to me has always been self exploration in the framework of Mormonism. Um, you know, mm-hmm. th- so I'm I'm still very interested in self exploration. Um, but I, I I I want I want the people that I'm talking to and talking with to be as excited about it as I am. And I I don't feel like people are that interested in self-exploration, like really introspective. I want to understand myself better. I I think that a lot of the, a, a lot of what I see out there is this group is bad. These people are bad. This organization is bad. This ideology is bad. These things. And, and, and it's like all of the arrows are going outward towards other places instead of Mm. inward like what does that mean about you that you think that these things are bad like what does Mm. that tell you about yourself like i'm i'm so interested in all of the unconscious programs that we're carrying around that color and filter our reality yeah there's there's a lot to explore there certainly that excites me a lot that journey of um instead of just studying cults and looking at it like what about me and what about my brain is like really primed for cult behavior because I'm human just like the rest of them you know so that that interests me too i think the hard thing about that place is it doesn't have like a really um loud base camp like the other base camps do. If you are all in and you're the apologist, you're the Patrick Mason, there's a camp for that, a pretty loud camp for that 
um who's patrick mason patrick mason is an apologist he's probably he's he has the leonard errington chair at for mormon studies uh, oh like a lds apologist yeah mm-hmm. oh, okay. he I, I think is represents really the future of mormon apologetics i feel like he's leading that what happened this is a side this is a side note but what happened is you know, there was Leonard Arrington, Terrell Givens. There were kind of these all these old historians doing Mormon history and Mormon intellectual work. And then with the September 6, it essentially silenced an entire intellectual generation of Mormonism. And so now we have quite a bit younger. The apologists are quite a bit younger. So Patrick Mason, he's only 35 and he has this chair and he admitted publicly this should have gone to someone older than me. But there's a generation missing because of the September 6th. Mm. So, you know, there, but there, so there's that camp that, like, you know, Mormonism is always recreating itself and there's so much good and, and there's a lot you can do there. And then there's this camp of like, it's all bad and it's all, you know, if you just go on to ex Mormon Reddit or something, I mean, these memes are just so easy about Joseph Smith and 14 year old girls and, and none of it is like, hey, this is us. This is, this is me too. It's like, it's like studying World War II and never having the conversation within yourself of what part of me would have participated in this, what part of me would have enjoyed participating in this. It's like studying, it's like studying World War II and the Holocaust and never meeting your shadow self, which just seems like a waste. So I do think there's a lot of value in what you do and what, and the voice that you're still trying to continue. There's just not a loud base camp for it because it's not a, it's not a cult. (laughs) It's, it's not going to get, it's never going to be like that. That introspective game is just never going to have as loud of a base camp as, um, someone where I'm always right and this is my club and these are our memes and this is our language. It's just never going to be that. Yeah. So it still could be a really good thing. It could still be a really valuable thing, even if it's just the response is not as loud. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's just, just like the motivation for me is just, yeah. Yeah. What's so what's, so that excites you. Like let's continue to use this as a tool to study ourselves what's boring you then like what's sucking (laughs) the energy out of you well when it it, what's sucking the energy out of me it's just the not knowing where i fit Mm. just just like not knowing if if i'm sitting down and i'm taking the time to make a podcast I'm doing it because there's something about it that I like. So like, so like I've been doing this series recently, I I recorded a conversation back in September with uh, someone named Ren, who is, has a PhD in physics. She's transgender. She, she served a mission where I lived in Bloomington. We were there at the same time back in the mid two thousands and maybe interacted, but don't have any memory of it. It's just like one of those cool kind of coincidence things. Mm-hmm. and uh, got to know her for the last year or so, recorded some conversations and published them on the podcast. And and so this one that we did back in September 
was around this project that I've created where I'm channeling and I'm creating this Arcturian presence of like looking at the world. And it's a, it's this fictional tool that I use for introspection, but I don't think people really care or understand or just think it's so weird. Like um, Tom, I don't know if you know who Tom Perry is, Tom, who uh, was one of the co-founders of Infants on Thrones. Uh, when I first started channeling, I sent it to Tom. He's like, what are you doing, man? He's like, this is so weird. Why would you do this? Like of all of the things that you could do, why would this be it? And I just freaking love it. I mm. absolutely love it. And so I, I think I get discouraged that um, not as many people, I don't think people know how to take it because most channeling is from the perspective of this is real this is really happening i'm really doing this and mine is like i am creating this fiction and if you want to think that there's real divine intelligent wisdom coming through me cool because that means you're <laughs> you have found something in yourself that you're resonating with and it's part of this introspection but i just i don't think that people really understand how i'm doing i don't know it's the, so yeah. So it's that kind of frustration, that disconnect. Yeah. If I'm playing therapist, which I'm not a therapist, mm. <laughs> but I see there are two kind of options. It's there there may be a need for a shift in here's what resonates with me, here's what resonates with people or my audience, and really kind of um fine-tuning where that Venn diagram meets. Yeah. And so I would love also like if everyone if you if you post this part of the conversation that oh, if yeah. you listen to this podcast, if this is on your feed, like what do you love about it? Like send him an email so that we so so that he can really nail you know narrow down where is that Venn diagram of what resonates with me and what resonates with you. But then there could also be another aspect of maybe it really is resonating with people. And maybe we'll just never know because, again, um, what you're doing is not something that becomes really tribal in the sense that, he, you know, I'm the good guy here and here's all the bad guys. Do you know what I mean? You can do this with any political podcast, with any yeah, religious podcast. Where, where you, you, make, you other. You make an us them, you yeah. other, yeah. and then people throw money at you because they're just high on their own self-importance right. and, and righteousness. And, you know, that may never happen, but that mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, that I want to dissolve you're on, all of that. Yeah. Right. That means you're on to something like Jesus or Buddha or whatever mystic voice you like. Um if they had a podcast, you know, wouldn't have that either where the money is just pouring in because we're, we're just getting high on our own, you know, tribalism. And so there may be an aspect of you are doing the right thing just because um, that element isn't there. Maybe that's a good thing. So those are kind of the two options. Maybe, maybe there's a little shifting that could be done, but maybe this is a good thing. Uh, maybe not having, um, you know, an infants on thrones tribe where people are wearing shirts and I don't know, you know, the, the craziness that can come with all of that, maybe not having that means this is a good thing because maybe that shouldn't be there if it was a good thing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. So, so in your opinion, Britt, with this call to action, you know, you, you, you mm -hmm. asked the audience yeah. members to email me and tell me this what do they like, like about it? 
This so, is my empathy podcaster to podcaster. Yeah. It's it's I really love all the emails that I get. Like they really affect my day or if someone really likes something, I'll do it again. If someone sends me, you should talk to this person, I'll try to talk to that person. I mean, um it's really it really means a lot. So if you if you are a long-time listener, you do enjoy this podcast. Yeah, shoot them an email because it's hard to it's hard sometimes to figure out what that Venn diagram is without um, responses from your audience. So, yeah. So, so the question that I want to ask you, Britt, and it's kind of tongue in cheek and it's kind of not. That so sounds like you yeah, in general. Right. So, so, <laughs> so, so let's say that um, people hear this and nobody sends me any email mm-hmm. or maybe I get three. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I get five, or maybe I get 10, or maybe I get 20, or maybe I get 3,000. I won't get 3,000. But what's the Probably number? Not. What's the <laughs> what's the number that will say, okay, I'm 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 reaching enough people to continue doing this podcast. It it makes it worth it to me. Um, like, is there a number? What would what yeah. what would you say if that was you yeah. in that situation? Yeah. So for me, um, and also because I'm I'm a podcaster as well, right? Um, there's not really a number for me because the 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 prize is in the gift, right? It's it's when you're preparing for a podcast, I'm doing work and I'm thinking about things and I'm reading articles and I grow as 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 a um as a process. And so for me, um, you know, we all have to value our time because we're very limited, but if there was a couple people that I I just, whatever message I was giving caught them at the right time and really affected their life, I would keep doing it. If, if no one listened, I, I may still just record, I, I may still just do the process out of love for it, right? Mm. I, I will write books even if no one reads them just yeah. for the pro it's a process it's a tool i grow because of it and that affects my life and so i guess that's just a question of how you how do you want to value your time as you have other projects um maybe you continue to have these conversations just for you but maybe then you do it every other week or once a month um because you have other projects where yeah. like wow i'm really meeting people here yeah. um you know, and so that that's that's just a value valuing your time game, but there's there's always a, a prize just in giving the gift of I've thought about this. Here are my thoughts and putting it out into the world, regardless of how it's received. Yeah. No, I'm on board with that. I I feel the same way, and and I appreciate you expressing that, Britt. I I do get discouraged from time to time. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But but I but when I hear from from people, I I heard from somebody just a couple of weeks ago that was a like a long time listener stopped then came back and joined patreon to say thanks and tell me like he actually was a t-shirt wearing because because mm-hmm. we did do infants on thrones t-shirts maybe back in 2014 or something like that and that that he had given it to his husband who wore it but didn't know anything about infants on thrones and <laughs> and how he he looks at him and he he loves seeing him wear that that t-shirt just because of what it meant for him. But, you know, so, so things like that do go a long way and, and they're, they're meaningful to me because I, like, I think about how many or, or how many people have touched my life through what I've done with infants on thrones over the last 10 years. Like I, I don't know if there's a single relationship that I have that 
doesn't have something to do with the podcast um mm -hmm. e either them coming into me or me something to the you know like some kind of communication and the things that i've learned like when listeners share hey read this book check out this like I, i've yeah. learned so much I, I love that back and forth interaction with it i I just, I I feel like where I'm at right now is so different from where I was when I started uh, yeah. this podcast. But I, I, I think that's what I love about podcasting. Yeah. You know, I podcast with Bill Real and he was 10 different people over 10 different years of podcasting. <laughs> yeah, you right. can kind of find where you are as a Mormon yeah. somewhere on that spectrum. But there's a beauty in, there's a beauty in that too of modeling change, right? Because we have this pressure on ourselves as humans to um, this is who I am and this is who I'll always be. And this is my identity. And, um, you know, we, we have, we have this pressure that we have to do that. And I think it's really beautiful. These longtime podcasters um, to be able to model what change looks like. Yeah. Even if they don't resonate with you at various points in your journey, just, just that act in and of itself has value as part of the conversation. This, this is a tiny, tiny, minuscule part of the great conversation that humans are having that yeah. we've been continuing to have. And that has value in and of itself. You know, speaking of great conversations that humans have, I, mm. I, I lucked out yesterday. Uh, a friend of mine had an extra ticket to uh, Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss speaking mm. here in Phoenix. And so cool. I went and listened to it and I didn't like Richard Dawkins is 81 years old and like seeing him sitting on the stage was the first time I ever saw him in person, but there was the time like the God delusion was really influential to me. His, his mm. uh, seven point uh, scale. Do you know, are you familiar yeah. with his mm -hmm. like uh, what he, it's not atheist scale. I think he calls it like, a, I don't remember what it's called. But anyway, seeing him there, I think, I think it, it's like one through six, and he's a five. It's one I through seven. Really interesting. It's one, one through, through seven, seven, and he's a six. And he's a six. Okay. Yeah, that, because that makes sense. Because yeah. one and seven are both the absolute one hundred percent certainty. Right, right, right. Like that I'm there sure there is a god or right. there's not a god. Yeah. Right. Yeah. His is number six, which is a de facto atheist. And and when I read that, I'm like, so am I. And it, I I, I couldn't believe it. This is back mm -hmm. like 2008, um, 2009. And I'm like, I'm an atheist, really? And it was the, there was some wording in there that he had about like, I I don't really have a strong belief in a God. And if there is, I don't live my life as if a God is watching mm -hmm. or keeping track. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, well, if that's a six, then that's me, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so, so like seeing him, uh, hearing their conversation, uh, I, I was fascinated. I was fascinated with it. So th yeah, there are, there are a lot of conversations out there right now, but even, even that, even that ha conversation had some of the othering, the us versus them mm -hmm. kind of stuff that I really just, it's like, I, I want to dissolve all that. I want to destroy all that, but that's also kind of the thing that you need to grow an audience, right? You need that. I know. You need to fuel the outrage. Um, I know it's uh, so hard. My favorite, if we're talking great conversations, my favorite conversation, um, and I've watched it now like four times, is it was like the four 
episode or four meetings between Jordan, Jordan Peterson, Peterson and, and Sam, Sam Harris. Harris and Sam Harris. Yeah. And what I really loved about that arg- that that debate, I think it was in the third time that they got together, is that um, the mediator kind of had them uh, steel man, man each other's arguments. And so you they had to like argue the other person's point of view. Yes. And what I loved about that is that they could, and they did it really well, which means that they were listening and it was a real conversation. It's not one of these fake conversations mm-hmm. like in politics where you're just doing your talking points. And they were actually having the conversation, which I think defines our generation, which is, you know, Sam Harris, Lawrence Krauss, um, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Uh, Christopher Hitchens, that side of the argument says, hey, we can pull out spirituality and ritual and morality, all these things. We can pull that out of religion and God and move forward as humanity. And then Jordan Peterson saying, I think... I think we can't do that. I think we have to have this tradition. I think we need to have right. these stronger myths and these stronger stories and continue to reinvigorate them. I don't think that we can do that. And I really think that that was a pretty defining conversation of our generation of just like, how much can we really deconstruct here? Yeah. How much should we deconstruct here? Yeah. Right. Cause we're, we're postmodernists um, at this point. So that has probably been my favorite conversation, and yeah. I've listened to that multiple times. Me too. You 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 missed the couple of years ago when we did the series. Did on you that. go through all? Yeah, yeah did you yeah. go through all that? And Super started, fascinating. Started with that the podcast that the two of them had on Truth that was like two hours of bashing yeah. each other because they couldn't. That one, come yeah, to an that agreement. one. I felt like they got a little bit bogged down. Um, I liked some of the later ones a little bit better, yeah. but yeah, good good conversations. But but all all of them together were really influential in in helping me kind of like pound out what what I thought mm-hmm. on, on the issue of of truth mm-hmm. um, and, and and these other things. What what's your where, where do you do you side with? Like, where do you fall on that argument with the, that you just yeah. uh, summarized between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson? It's funny because um, when you see the value of both sides of that argument, um, I'll, I'll, you know, in conversation with people, depending on where they are, you know, I will kind of call arguments from one or the other. Mm. And so I have used, I have used Jordan Peterson arguments because there are some, you know, he's got 21 year old boys listening to two hour biblical lectures like that's whatever you believe about jordan peterson and his his views especially on the trans population um he he's not dumb there's some he's doing some interesting things and there are really good arguments about tradition and loyalty and what holds a society together he's really studied um not just you know human psychology but also um USSR, Nazis, and all these things. So um, when I say Sam Harris, it's not because I think that Jordan Peterson is stupid, um, but I do lean that way. Of I think I think that we can let this go. I th- I think maybe not 500 years ago, but I think now I'm putting my chips personally and with my family and kind of how I talk to my community. I think we can pull the baby of spirituality out of the bathwater of belief in God and organized religion. I think we can do it. Those arguments are a little bit stronger for me. Yeah. 
How how do you think that we can do that? Yeah, that's where it gets tricky, right? And it's really interesting. And, I think and that's one of where the Jordan reasons... Peterson's like his point. It, the, the image that came to me as you were describing it is that like the, the the ritualistic aspects that you were saying that you know Sam Harris is saying we can pull this out and still have the thing. It's like the skeleton of the human body. Like you can't pull mm. out the bones and still have a human body. The thing that's super interesting is that the what I found, and this is where people can disagree with me, but what I found, and I think you'll agree with this, is that the most deconstructed Christian uh, and the most spiritual atheist, there's like a hair in between those two places. It's like getting a Caesar salad and it's a deconstructed Caesar salad. And it's like, okay, but it's a Caesar salad. Like they're so close. Um, And so, you know, when you pull out ritual and you pull out morality and you pull out, you're trying to extract all these things and you put it all together into a system. um, The difference between that person who does it as an atheist and someone who's just doing that, but as a super deconstructed Christian where God is really like the ground of being, or they've redefined that in some way, right? The differences between those two stances and those two people aren't very much. And so for me personally, I don't, the deconstructed Christian route, because it's, it's just so close, I don't have a lot of beef with that. I don't have a lot of problem with that. My big thing is let's stay away from fundamentalism and nihilism and let's kind of unite whatever you are, spiritual atheist, deconstructed Christian, nuanced Mormon, whatever the thing is. As long as we're collectively fighting nihilism and fundamentalism, I think that needs to be the focus. Yeah. And, w- and when you say nihilism and fundamentalism, I I, th- I think one of the big takeaways for me in the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris debate, they, and it might've come up during the steel manning in part three, I don't remember, but it was about dogma. It is like, they both kind of agreed that what they were really concerned about both of them was dogma. And it didn't really matter if it was a religious dogma or a scientific dogma or a political dogma or a corporate dogma or where, wherever you might come across dogma. That's mm-hmm. when, that's when people, will uh, dehumanize other people because of an ideology. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and their belief that something is this way is more important than uh, being compassionate, being open, being, you know, like they'll cause harm to someone else over a yeah. belief system. And yeah. And so when you say, yeah, go ahead. Well, so I was going to ask, like when you were talking about the, the deconstructed, Christian and the deconstructed atheist that they're only a hair apart. Like it seems to me that that hair apart is judgment that comes from dogma. Mm-hmm. And that that's why to me, the most important conversations are the introspective ones where everybody like me, starting with me, <laughs> because I'm the one that's thinking of this, looks at myself and says, what, what are those hairs of separation that I have between myself and other people that I disagree with? Where is my dogma? Mm. Because I've got a lot of it that I'm never going to see if I'm always looking outward at other people and going, oh yeah, them there, that, that, that's that, that. So Mm. I'll shut up now. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things there, when you say, how do we do this? You know, there's a whole conversation 
that needs to be had that I'm really invested in, which is how do we do secular spirituality? And we seem to have secularized badly. And I think I said before on the last podcast that, you know, when Nietzsche says that God's dead and he's he mourns that because he he believes that politics is going to fill that space, you know, that that is scary. That's where I start leaning, you know, where I recognize that Jordan Peterson has a strong argument that it's possible that without a strong myth and without that zeal that we can't do it. We can't do secular spirituality because you just have to have a, a group of whatever you call it, Fowler stage three people in order to really get it to go. Um, so it's possible that we can't do it. Um, but given our history of playing with gods, I'm willing to make that try. I'm willing to try. Let, let's try to secularize spirituality. And this is where I really like voices like um, Elaine de Baton, who did the TED Talk on Atheism 2.0, um, where he talks about how we can secularize better and how we can learn from religion to create kind of a moral secular society. And uh, the funny thing is that when Richard Dawkins kind of read all of his stuff, Richard Dawkins just says, we don't need this. Like we, he doesn't see anything in it. Right. We don't yeah. need to be spiritual. We don't, we don't need to learn from religion and, right. and he just doesn't see any value in it. And right. I, th I think that's where he misses something, which is why I really like Sam Harris's voice better in that space because he at least recognizes um, something in spirituality that's worth preserving, whereas Richard Dawkins is a little bit more tough in that space. But I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had on how do we do it and can we do it? But and and there's some really good arguments that it's it's going to be hard and maybe we can't. My thing is that just given our history, that I think the the world would be better if we kind of outgrew learned from and outgrew religion, learned from and outgrew um, belief in in whatever God or heaven and hell and really focused on, you know, humanistic spirituality and values and pulling out the good life as much as you can from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I say amen. And the, the, only, the only alteration that I would make to what you just said to reflect my own view on it is instead of saying fiction or saying religion saying fictions like that mm. that we that we detach so strongly from the fictions that we all hold and that we recognize that every single one of us is perceiving the world through a fictional filter of our own creation and and the creation of everyone around us you know like we we are all carrying around this fictional filter that's saying this is right. This is wrong. And it gets changed as it updates. But that, to me, that's the big behemoth to slay is the idea that fictions are bad or wrong or other people have fictions, but I don't have fictions. Like mm. I want everybody to own their own fiction, become mm. comfortable with uncertainty <laughs> and, and be more receptive like here's, be okay so accepting here's a to question. yourself and accepting to others yeah yeah so so here's a question that i have for you this is one that i think about i want to see what you do with this question so right. i've thought before that when you said like we have to let go of our um 
just how uncomfortable we are in uncertainty, yeah. right? We've just got to outgrow that. And there's an argument there that in order to get to these later stages of human development, whether you're looking at Maslow or Fowler or any of these human development stages, if you didn't have security yeah. as a lower stage, right. it may not be psychologically possible for you right. to sit in I don't know anything about fucking anything. Like that just may be psychologically, like I can go there. Like I can go there where, you know, and I've been to to spaces where just like, wow, we are not interacting with ultimate reality at all, right? Where I just don't know anything about anything. Um, it may be privilege in some way that allows you to go to those spaces because you had enough comfort and ego and identity at some point for you to be able to let it go. And so if that's true, that you can't get to these places where you're facing your deep existential fears and you're sitting with uncertainty and you're making a good life, even though we don't know what's going to happen after we die, all these places, right? If it's true that it's privilege that allows that, should privileged people allow religions to exist for people who are psychologically incapable of going to those places. Yes. Hmm. I mean, I, the, I I get tripped over the word allow. Like what? Allow. What, like, what are do you, you not do? push on it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. I mean, but like, like, do you not do you not push on it? it essentially, whether whether I, to to me, the reason that I so quickly said yes is because if you don't allow it, then what you're doing is fighting. And if you're, if you're fighting, then you're, you know, like if you're fighting with people who don't have their basic needs met and they need the religion as a way to, you know, feel more secure about a life where they're really not very secure, then having somebody else come at them and tell them you're stupid, you're dumb, you believe all this backward stuff, get it, you know, pull your head out of your ass, put your head out of the dark age. You don't need that. That's not helping them get their basic needs met or feel more comfortable right. about things. So uh, of course I would say allow. Uh, Sometimes. So the reason that like people get skittish with this question, if we were in front of an audience, like yeah. we were in like, like we are professors and we have like, you know, we have a, uh, an academic name for ourselves is because there's this hidden argument that people believe, but don't say out loud which is that I think religion needs to be there for those people, which sounds condescending as shit, right? It just sounds condescending that dumb people, more damaged people, people who are in quote unquote lower stages of development. And I hear this in the ex-Mormon community where like, I'm a Fowler stage five and you're a Fowler stage three, and yeah. therefore I'm better. It's just condescending, right? right? Um it's, ju it's, how, judge it's judgmental and it's condescending. Ju it's judgmental right. and condescending. So how do you, how do we believe that? Like, how do we say, you know what, religion for a lot of people seems to be the most good because it gives them stability and ego and identity that they wouldn't have had anyway. And it allows for options of, of outgrowing that later on in life where you, you know, nuance maybe a little bit as you get older. Um, is it... I, I, how do you allow that argument to be without being a condescending ass, essentially, and and implying that 
I don't need religion, but everybody else does. Yeah. And and this is where I think the introspective work needs to be done. I, yeah. you, you have to rid yourself of the judgment that would tell yourself that religion is bad, that, that people are, uh, that it's harmful, that it's damaging. Like you would really truly have to believe that there actually is a value in that's why it's there. It's it's yeah. fulfilling a function that's above and beyond what we're really able to understand. And, yeah. and I want to give an example of that. It seems like you got something more you want to. Go on I just want to say for me that introspector that introspection came with my father, who's a nuanced active member of the church, and I never once in my whole kind of faith transition, whatever, like sent him an article about the book of Abraham or, or I, I essentially never, I just never gave him any of that information. And I had to, I had to introspect, especially when I was in a phase where I was a little bit more kind of wanting to talk to people or maybe even pushing on some of my relationships. Like, why did I never do that with my dad? Like, why did I never do that? And it was really because I had such deep love for this person. And I also didn't, really think that given given his mental state and his psychological state, he has a lot of um, anxiety, he really struggles with depression, really thinking that I don't know if this information um, would lead you to a happier, healthier life. It's there if you ever are curious, like I'll be honest and we can talk about it, but I never like pushed it on him because of this kind of deep belief that I, I really love you and I don't know if this would be good for you. Right. And so that was that introspection piece that I then needed to apply to everyone else too, and not just my dad because I loved my dad, right? Right. right. So, so, so I, I think what you're saying there is, um, be, because of the love that you had for your dad, you didn't judge him, as you know, you didn't see that the impact of being involved in a religion was harming her or damaging him, and you there wasn't anything condescending in the way that you were thinking about that that was coming from a place of love not from a place of yeah, condescension from, from deep love mm-hmm. and and so when you when you had that experience with him you recognize oh i kind of need to apply that to other people as well mm-hmm. yeah cuz i can't just like act out of love for yeah. my people and then just like be an ass to everybody else right right no that's 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 lovely that's beautiful um so i, I have have are you watching the tv show andor i'm not okay. i i I am a Star Wars nerd and I just, there's just so many, there's just so many and they're just hit or miss all these little spinoff things. I'm going to, because okay. I'm a nerd. And so I will. Good. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you one, yeah, tell one, me little, what you like. one little scene from okay. uh, episode 11 came out today. There's only 12 mm-hmm. in this, in the season. So next week is the end of season. I'm watching, one. I'm watching the crown right now. So I got to finish okay. that first. Okay. So there, there's a scene where um, a mother has a 13-year-old daughter, and the the mother uh, really doesn't want her 13-year-old daughter to be indoctrinated by the the we could say the religious customs of her her people. It, it might be part of religion. Mm-hmm. It's basically like arranged marriages with, with mm-hmm. this, this thing, and the, the mother's put in a situation where. Um, she has to make a choice as to whether her daughter is going to be part of this arranged marriage culture or not. And she sees that her daughter, like you, you hear these chants and the 13 year old girl is with, it's basically like she's at young women's 
and mm. she's chanting the you know like whatever duty to god or honor to whatever the things were <laughs> award uh you know the pledge of allegiance and what is she she's saying the words and you can see this mother watching her daughter be indoctrinated into this system that she doesn't really agree with and doesn't really believe in and she's really worried for her daughter actually but she can also see the joy on her daughter's face as she's joining her voice in unison with all of these other people in the room. And this woman's explaining to another woman as they're watching this, she's like, yeah, I don't really like that this is happening, but I can't do anything about it because she's so happy. Like this was her idea. This was my daughter's idea. She wanted to do this because of her friend. She wanted to do this. She, she feels such a sense of belonging and uh, connection with, with others that I can't pull that out. And and then they're like, well, maybe she'll see the fallacy of these ways or, you know, because this isn't true or whatever. You know, thing. But I, I loved that scene because it highlights to me this Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson question of like, oh, well, we can just have like really good, true ideas without the rituals. Because the rituals are just like, like the rituals, that's what it's about. It's it's about the community. It's it's about where do you fit in? How do you fit in with this group? And um, religion's not the only place, obviously, that has rituals that bring people together. But um, that I don't ever see going away. And, mm. and it I think it is hard to invite people to be be part of rituals when they know that the ritual is a man-made fiction and a creation like it's easier to go oh this is what god wants me to do and if i do this then i'm making Mm -hmm. god happy okay Mm -hmm. all right yeah that brings up a lot for me so i for a couple years i really had this battle in my mind because i have young children and so i had an opportunity of like okay like when it comes to your children, that's where this I this um, abstract conversation becomes very real, yeah. right? Because you're the mother watching the kid. Mm-hmm. And what tipped the scales for me, my my oldest is my biological, and then I have three adopted um, Marshallese uh, Pacific Islander children. And uh, with my oldest, he was baptized, really did just fine. Cubs, scouts seemed to be a good thing in his life. It was fine. And then I had that moment as a mother where I was watching um, my oldest daughter, who's six now. She was maybe four. And um, it was that moment of I didn't want her. There's the patriarchy things that I felt like, you know, I could work on or nuance or talk about. But I knew that she would someday read in the Book of Mormon that their skin turned to delight some white because because of... um, being righteous. And that one, I mean, I've heard the nuances for that and that just means the priesthood and and all of that. Um, But I felt like I I just looked at her and in that moment of I'm the mother watching her at church, I essentially made the decision that I'm going to do the work to build everything else that I'm leaving in this community, because I never want you to read that. I never want you to have to wrestle with that. I never want you to see that essentially. And I think what ex-Mormons really underestimate is that Christianity or whatever religion, whatever system, they've got thousands of years, thousands of years of um, when something for humans lasts for thousands of years, 
it it means something. It's connecting with us, right? It's It's got a lot of things that we need. And so when you leave it and you can leave it and be on your high horse because Joseph Smith is whatever and did whatever. Um, but replacing all that, I think people underestimate that while it is a beautiful journey and I think a valuable thing to do, it's a hard work. And so I have to... Um, so my kids go to karate because I really like how they have these rituals and you have mm. other adults talking to them about self-respect and all these things. And um, I have this post-warming community and we do kid things every once in a while. Like those things take work because nobody's threatened to be there. Like nobody mm. has to be there. Um, and like your money going to, instead of just going to tithing, you know, we choose a place and we go shopping and we take it to a women and children's shelter. And then, okay, what are the stories that are really important to my family? Okay, here are the couple books, the stories that I want them to hear over and over. And how do we, we do, we do family church on Sunday and how do I want to structure that? Because they need that, that order and um, that structure in their lives. And so I really went to work to replace all the things that I was leaving behind. But that that choice was a really hard choice for me because you are leaving things behind. And I think I think the ex-Mormon community can be naive in, in just saying that it's all crap. Um, because once you start to try to replace all those things, especially with a community in your life, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I eventually made that choice really because I didn't want my brown daughter to hear the messages that I knew she was going to hear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, and I I think there's a lot of times where we want to protect our kids from the things that hurt us um, when we were growing up, or things that we we'll see just, that might hurt them. Yeah, and we just hurt them in a whole new way. And... They like they or, <laughs> because, or or we don't, but they get hurt in other ways. Yeah, they'll get hurt in other ways. The thing that's it. hard with the kids and teens is that often what I see as a spiritual director often is that the the parent is in a place where like I'm doing shadow work and I listen to Brene Brown and they've kind of replaced their spirituality and they're doing okay. Like, but the teen is in a place where they need first half of life spirituality. Right. Mm -hmm. And the parent is in a place where they really only know how to do sec like second half of life, authenticity, Richard Rohr, shadow work, that kind of stuff. Um, but the teen is in a place where they need something different, but, the parent comes with a lot of triggers and religious trauma. And so the teen is not getting the, the healthy ego development and spirituality that they need because the parent is just in, in a really different place. And that's where I see the teens really hurting and why I'm really interested in this teen population and really wanting to work with uplift kids. We're putting together kind of a teen program to address that because it's the teens then who get left behind because it's psychologically unhealthy for a teenager to do shadow work. It can actually lead to a kind of neurosis. Like mm. they don't have a healthy ego yet. Like right. you don't want to tell them like how crazy their brain are yet they need like a healthy ego first mm -hmm. like they need their spirituality like they need to like this is me and like i'm good at this and these are my core values and they need all of that healthy ego development but if you're coming from kind of religious trauma it's really hard for the parents to be able to provide that and so the teens are really missing spirituality and i don't think that parents know that the majority of teens are getting their most spiritual education from TikTok tarot readers. And mm. I don't think that, that they realize that. And I think that the teens deserve better because although tarot, like any other tool you can use for um, spirituality and self-development, um, there's also a lot of TikTok readers that are like, 
you know, like my, like my post and you'll have good luck in your life. And it gets really superstitious and just think that they deserve better than that. But it's hard when the parents in a different place and that's a big disconnect happening overall, not just in Mormonism, but overall in the spiritual world that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Yeah. That, that made me think of a couple of things, Britt. So I've got two, two topics that I'd like to introduce one judgment and the other control. Hmm. And um, I, 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 I think that the, the, the thing that creates more anxiety and um, just like uh, a, a lack of internal well-being, a lack of peace, uh, frustration, anger, all, all of these emotions. I think I think the thing that creates that, it's not religion, but it's judgment. And I think that one of the reasons why religion gets, you know, the, the reputation that it has of we need to get rid of it is because this is the system that is instilling judgment into people. And it's really the judgment. And it goes kind of side by side with the, the dogma to me. So I, I think that the judgment the judgment that we each one of us carries is the reason why we have problems with ourselves and other people. Sometimes we don't need to. Sometimes it's a good thing, uh, a healthy thing. It protects us. But I think that judgment is really that key area. I want to know what you think about that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And here, here's where I go with that is that if but if judgment is an inherent kind of human trait, because we're always kind of we're always internally, at least we're primed to kind of check where we are on a social hierarchy. And that, that requires a lot of judgment. And we seem to just have the wiring for that as social primates. So the question that brings up for me is that if, if judgment is something that's really inherent in humans and we all have to, um, essentially do the work to grow out of that, just like we do with kind of growing out of having to eat sugar all the time. Cause we realize like, Oh, my body is saying this is the only sugar that will ever be, but my mind says there's going to be sugar again and I'm not going to die. So if judgment is just kind of an inherent part of being human, then the question is how damaging is religion versus other systems where judgment is going to be an inherent part of that system too. So if we do like a comparison between religion and politics, for example, when people leave religion, Sometimes to fill that hole, that void in their brains, um, the you know if you shift from conservatism, for example, to to being liberal right after a faith crisis, um, it'll be a little bit culty still because that that shadow is still there in your brain, and um, so you may get involved in politics in such a way where this political voice is now your new prophet. Right. And your brain's just primed to just take it over or fundamental Christianity or whatever the thing is. So the question is, is religion fundamentally more dangerous of a system if we assume that all systems will have judgment and in groups and out groups? Is it is it worse because when you have religious judgment, now you're bringing up, you know, <laughs> When you look at something like Christianity, you know, they'll pop up climate climate change, for example. It's a real problem 
that you have such a large majority of people who believe that Jesus is going to come and fix it. That's a problem. That's a problem that's bigger than just I, my in-group is Black Lives Matter, and that's my cult, essentially. I think the religious the religious system has the potential to be more dangerous because you can blow up the earth and not care because you're so sure of the next heaven or the next life. And that creates existential risk that other systems don't just don't have. And so that would be my thing that I, I think judgment's going to be inherent in the system, but I think religious judgment, it, it may be more dangerous because you're talking about um, people that are so sure of the next life, they can really do some damage in this life. What do you think about that? Uh, I think I think climate control is more a result of corporate greed and and lack of consideration of the environment. That it's like a uh, economic issue than a religious issue, um, and and that the the lack of judgment that people have in certain cases, where I, I'm going to do this because it benefits me, even though it harms the environment. Um, I think that's a that's a problem that is probably bigger in my mind, at least, mm. than uh, religious people uh, that vote. And mm. you know, so I, 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 I also using it using it as a case study though of just that 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 religious beliefs can can bring in problems for this world problems. Yeah, but I, but, but. Where where I where I'm not totally comfortable with that is that I don't I don't know why religion is part of that conversation that like religious a religious belief that creates a problem is any worse than a non-religious belief that creates the problem like why is religion part of that because I don't even know I I I don't know how to yeah I don't. Like for me, it's, it's, if I assume that, um, you can get, you, you and I both know that, you know, CrossFit can be a religion and keto can be a religion and black lives matter can be a religion. All these functions, all these function like, um, cults and in groups. And we're just wired for that. I think for me, the difference is that when religion is brought into it, where, um, uh, I'm able to judge you as less than, and I have God's approval, and I'm going to go to heaven for strapping a bomb to my chest. That's a different level of damage in that judgment than I'm better than you because I'm a keto warrior. It's just, a you know, so I think there's a danger. The, that's the question is how how dangerous is religion really? Or is religion just the vehicle of human stupidity that we're always going to have that's the question that's the fundamental question so so is ask me the fundamental question again i'm okay. not sure i totally got it is is religion dangerous or as christopher hitchens says it you know does religion poison everything or is religion just the vehicle for human behavior that will always be there. And so if you got rid of religion, we would just keep doing, the world would essentially not change because it, religion would just be replaced by the next 
political I, movement or whatever the thing is. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? I'm 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 more along that second line because I think the things that are called religion, you know, like how you mentioned that things like CrossFit and we works and other, you know, things like that mm. can be culty and and that what that what you're saying there, you said something about how we're 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 hardwired to do that. It, it's that hardwiring that we're not. I don't think that we are, first of all, hardwired mm. for that. But I, I do think that we're hardwired to belong to groups. I think that we're hardwired to thrive in community and that the 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 rules the stories that come up around how people interact in this community and what's the value of it and what that people can take a very religious dogmatic clinging to it where that becomes a sacred thing to them whether whether there's a god and an afterlife or other things like that it, it's that hardwiring why is it that that we're we gravitate towards that um and how can we how can we unhardwire ourselves so that we don't fall prey to these automatic programs like we develop these habits when we're when we're young that's the hardwiring how do we break that so that we can still have connection but we're not doing it at the by exploiting others and saying it's okay mhm yeah, so two things came up for me. Um, I think Hassan and the bite model where he studies, you know, how do we actually remove people out of cults is really interesting. Be and he essentially explains through that research how to inoculate yourself essentially from from being prey to a cult because everyone can be a prey to a cult. This isn't for dumb people. He wasn't a dumb person. Um, and he got caught up in a cult. Um, and a lot of that, I, I do think you can do that internal work of a lot of it for him was going back to the places where you um, quieted your inner compass and your inner voice and going back. So he would go back with with people to the point where they gave up their inner voice of, I think this is wrong, their inner compass in some way in order to appease the group. And you essentially replay that in your mind, having said the thing that you should have said. And doing that for all of those moments um, was really retraining your brain yeah. to not do that. And so I've even done that with myself or with clients, like, like the first time I've played it in my mind, the time that a bishop asked me about my underwear. And instead of, I don't know what I said, you know, I would, I would try to explain myself. And sometimes I have my period or sometimes I have a yeast infection. And I'm trying to explain to this man who's asking me about my underwear. I feel icky about it. And I replay that scenario in my mind where I say, I'm not comfortable having another man ask me about my underwear, you know, and I just replay that. And so you can kind of go through those scenarios and and do that kind of work where you are essentially- Very, very introspective. Very introspective work. And it's what he really encourages. I did an episode on this with Bill Real where he really encourages you, if you've left a system- you are your brain is has all the pathways of right. that already and you're going to be super vulnerable for the next system to just come in and fill that space and so you have to kind of undo 
not only like I've left the church or the cult, but you have to essentially kind of undo all of that wiring and all of that scaffolding so that you're not prey to it. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of doing all of that work and all of that introspective work. Um, there was another place I was going to go. I forgot. Do you have any response to that? No, I love it. That That's the, you know, so you asked me earlier, what am I excited about? Th- those are the things that, that I'm passionate about. The, mm. Like how... How did the systems and not just the religion? So if you're talking to a Mormon, yeah, you grew up, you grew up Mormon, but you grew up in different wards. You grew up in different, you know, there's, there's the leader roulette, you know, like whatever you talk about there. You also went to a school or maybe you were homeschooled or maybe you went to a private school. You, you were conditioned uh, in many ways as you were going through your younger, youngest childhood development years and your brain has been formed to expect certain things and to feel certain ways about yourself. And I like, (laughs) I I saw a documentary a couple of months ago about a cult in Northern Italy that it kind of like the wizard of Oz. Are you a good cult? Are you a bad cult? (laughs) And they, and they consider themselves a good cult and Mm -hmm. they they were explaining what it is that they do. Um, One of the things that I really admired about them is how they approach their school system that they, they they have only a a handful of students per teacher. So they get a lot more uh, interaction from the adults. And instead of saying, here are the things that you need to learn, and we're going to test you on how well you learn these things or not. And that's whether you fail or not. They say, who are you? What are you good at? What do you like? Are you artistic? Are you musical? Are you mathematical? Like, what are the things that you like? And they encourage that. And they they create like a curriculum for each individual person. So it sounded kind of like what you were saying earlier about the child developing their own healthy sense of ego, where they have a sense of themselves. They know who they are. They're validated. Like our system is, oh, wait, you don't know what that word means? Oh, well, you're stupid then. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't know how to spell that? Oh, pfft. I do, you know, it, it, it creates that whole kind of like, well, I'm Fowler stage five and you're stage three. Mm -hmm. And that gets reinforced over and over and over again to where we just expect that. And the, the, the thing that turned me on to this in the first place, and I don't remember if we talked about this in the last uh, conversation or not, we might have the, the book coddling the coddling, the American mind, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. Oh, you did. Yeah. You did mention that. They talked about cognitive distortions and you know, like catastrophizing, black and white thinking, discounting the positive. There are all these different ways that our brains have been wired to process information that don't have anything to do with Mormonism, but but mm. were reinforced in the church over and over again because the leaders of the Mormon church were indoctrinated this way in, by society, you know, and, and anyway, we're, we're <laughs> so the thing that I am really passionate about, really excited about, I... I love talking to people who are at that place where they're like, I'm ready to look at me. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to look at me. I'm ready to look at how all of these things have impacted me. And I want to see how I'm processing information and, and these habits of thinking the way that we've been wired. These are, these are neurons in our brain that are living things that are communicating with each other. They're playing a game of telephone or, or telegraph or grapevine. You know, they're sending synapses over and over and over and over and over again. And, and we can change them. Like we, we, we could like, like a shepherd, if we're going in and we're thinking of these little living neurons as our, our pets, 
and we want to get them into better order, we can clean up <laughs> our, yeah. our thinking, but it takes effort and it takes work. It takes, it takes effort and it's much easier to just make a fun of the people on the other side who you think are more stupid than you. Right? And, and that's so part of to the me, programming. That just, that just goes back to if you are listening to this podcast and you appreciate that this podcast is not just talking about Mormon history and making fun of stupid things that we do and ridiculous things we have in, in our history, but, but you know, we're undoing, we're looking at our own scaffolding and our own brains as part of the story and kind of rewiring that scaffolding. If that is a value to you, you know, yeah, Glenn needs to know Yeah, <laughs> because that's a harder path and you're not going to get millions of people excited for that path because that's later stage of human development stuff. And I yeah. think super valuable, super wow. valuable. But I go back to the question though of, so you would say that religion is just kind of any other system and and it doesn't really matter what the system is because there's going to be judgment and um there'll be leaders and and the whole thing and i guess i i do take that argument just a tiny bit further than you because i think whenever you bring in as a part of that system i know that god says this or if we do this the the next life will be X, Y, Z. I think those two ideas especially make that system especially more dangerous than all other systems being what systems do and human brains doing what human brains do. I think those are extra dangerous ideas to push against because they have a form of existential risk and, 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 they're just dangerous. They're just dangerous ideas that cause a lot of problems. And so that's where I'm with you for that whole conversation, but that's, that's the place where like, I'm going to push a little bit here because I think that idea is dangerous. Okay. That, that, that's fair. And uh, the, the thing that is dangerous about them, I would say is if they're believed, like if, if, if somebody says something, God's going to reward you for this in the afterlife. Like person A could, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to I'm going to do everything you say. Person B could be like, no, I don't really believe that. Sorry, I'm off. So you're challenging that phrase by let's do the internal work where that idea is going to bounce off your head because it's going to be nonsense to you. Sort of. Let's do th- Sort yeah. of. Yeah, so, yeah. Like like yeah. so so that you can so that you can healthily exist in a world that is full of bad ideas. That you mm-hmm. see as, oh, this is because this is how this person sees it right now. And their their filter has been formed by whatever forms their filter things. Oh, I, I see. They're showing me a little bit about themselves. I can accept that this is who they are. I can accept that this is what they're saying. I don't necessarily believe what they're gonna what they're saying. And I'm not going to hurt another person because they told me that God doesn't yeah. like homosexuals or something. I'm not gonna it be almost- bigoted because of that. It seems like two paths to the same place. Like you, you can do the internal work, or pushing that on that idea in the way that like Sam Harris does, or any of these voices do, can cause the cognitive dissonance for you to go on that journey. So sometimes I feel like pushing on that idea is going to be the catalyst for people to be able to say like, oh, that's a really good point. I'm feeling cognitive dissonance. I'm going to dig in because this is uncomfortable. And then 
that's when they essentially begin that work of looking at themselves and why do I think this and and that whole journey. I think being honest about how dangerous those ideas are in public um, can be catalysts for people to do the kind of path and work that you're talking about, which is why I'm I am a little why I will speak in public and push against religion in public. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the concerns that I have about religion is bad and evil and dangerous, and we got to get rid of it at no cost. Is that feels to me like it's it's the view of somebody who's had cognitive distortions that their their mind their filter has been formed by an organization like Mormonism that says we're the one true and everybody else is not. And mm. that you've taken that filter and now you're going, oh, okay, so so now instead of the one true, there's the one bad. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's still the kind of othering and it's still that form of, of judgment that isn't really seeing the whole picture. It's not seeing everything yeah. that's that's going on. I, I gave an analogy once to uh, my, my, my mom's husband, he was talking about uh, Sam Harris and it was a few years ago. I, I said, it feels to me like what Sam Harris is saying about religion is you could kind of compare it to food. Like you could say that that religion is really damaging. There are people that die from religion. It's horrible. Like, like food, there's there people can poison your food. It can go bad. Um, you know, you can get salmonella poison. There's really awful things. Like we really should just get rid of food. We, we've got the technology these days to have vitamin supplements. You could just take supplements every day and get all the nutrients that you need uh, from a couple of pills. And you don't really need to eat food anymore. It's too dangerous. We should mm. just get rid of food. Good luck. People yeah. love their food for a lot I'm of different super, reasons. I'm super excited to talk about this argument with you because okay. I, I've, um, I've been playing this and I've played this in my mind before. There's an argument that he has that I I really am curious what you would think about. It's similar, um, but I like the analogy. But he's said before that the the issue that he has with apologists, and I'm feeling in my, I'm I'm playing this out in my mind because I'm trying to figure out kind of um, if if this characterization is true. His issue with apologists and the people who say that, you know, there's a lot of Christian people, uh, Brian McLaren's book or Richard Rohr, all these people where second coming doesn't mean this, it means this, you know, some, uh, it it's, it's when the world changes and we can all live in peace and harmony or, um, uh, God isn't this Santa Claus in the sky. It's kind of the ground of being, you know, you can, you can, you can play this game. And his issue with those people is that by using those same words to go to this kind of really morally uplifting place, this kind of nuanced place that you are indirectly fueling the fundamentalists by using similar words but taking it to a different place. And so his issue with apologists is that they're not being honest about pushing against the fundamentalists or using these words or these beliefs in their own congregations. They're just trying to play this game of taking these words and taking these stories and going into a more 21st century moral place with it. So what would you, what do you think about that? Is our apologists and everyone who's in that space 
indirectly supporting the very thing that they're trying to change. That's his argument. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I'm I, sensing you would disagree with that. I do disagree with it. And I, and yeah. I, I've disagreed with it for a long time. Um, I, I, I've heard it talk about like moderates, like that, that's why he doesn't like moderates or hasn't, he feels like moderates are the worst thing that uh, they, they empower the fundamentalists and stuff. And I, it's still coming from a position like his position that religion must um, be done away with. I just think is it's a non-starter for me. It's it's like okay, just get rid of food, just get rid of air, just get rid of, just Here, get rid of the things in in life. Like you're yeah. not going, you're not going to get rid of religion. So stop it. Like what are you really interested in? You're you're concerned yeah. that like Sam Harris is concerned about harm. He's concerned that people that there's unnecessary harm in this world, and he wants to reduce unnecessary harm. Right. And so he sees religion as being one of the the primary boogeyman bad guys with it and creates these huge MacGuffins and people, people fall into it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I, I I don't see that. (laughs) Yeah. Here's where it fell apart for me, but it also, it didn't land on me. I thought about it though, because I really wanted to think about this argument seriously. It's more othering. Here's where I went with it. There was another interview that he did where, um, he said something to the effect of he, we were talking about Sufis and I'm an ordained Sufi, hmm. uh, which is the mystic form of Islam. It's just, it's a very mystic tradition, roomy, very cool. cool. Okay? And he was talking about Sufism. And so I was listening to this and he said something to the effect of, you know, have you ever danced? The The interviewer asked, have you ever danced with Sufis? And he said, yeah, I've, you know, I've done the um, whirling dervish, you know, I've done this, done this dance. Zikr? And. Uh, yeah, zikr. I have my beads up here to cool. do zikr. Um, you, you've done you've done the you've done the zikr. Yeah, and, and do you get kind of get lost in it? Like the you, you find yeah, like the you can get you can get you can get it in a trance with oh, it. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's uh-huh. so cool. My my um my teacher is uh, actually a BYU Idaho um, professor, history professor, who's also an ordained Sufi, and he's just one of those nuanced Mormon. It, he his thing is like it doesn't matter what religion you're in these are all he's just a mystic right so you mm-hmm. can participate really in any religion um and yeah so these beads that I have are from the the tomb of Rumi that he gave me but anyway he was talking about it and he said something to the effect of yeah you know Sam Harris has been to India and he's uh, meditated with people and gone to some of these places where you can do some of these religious rituals. And he said something to the effect of, I have no problem just kind of participating in the ritual, even if, um, you know, I may disagree on some of the language that they're using and I just redefine it. And he said that just like really passing. And it blew my mind that nobody called him out on this. Like I was expecting like some someone to say something no one ever caught him on this because what he didn't realize or he didn't i think see is that that is how millions of christians show up every sunday yeah of like i may change this word or i may not like fully go there with the language with you but like i will do this spiritual ritual with you and show up with you and be in community with you and um feel this thing with you and um, you call it God, I call it transcendence or how, you know, there are millions of Christians and Jews and, and Muslims who show up like that. 
And he allowed that for himself in his own experience in going to India and studying with Sufis and Buddhists, but he wasn't allowing kind of millions of Christians show up just how you described and you thought it was okay, but somehow for Christianity, it's not okay because, you know, there's violence or whatever your issue is. Yeah. Or there's a history of violence that's just so easy to like, well, look at the Inquisition, you know? So, so you saw some hypocrisy. I, I, I see some hypocrisy in how he's been able to take a lot of the benefits from Buddhism, study with Sufis and Buddhists in India, um, take what is helpful, leave what is not helpful, and not allow Christians on Sunday to essentially be doing the same thing. Yeah. That was my that was my sense of hypocrisy. That that's that's how a lot of Christians and a lot of Mormons that I know show up. And if you allow that for Buddhists, because not all Buddhists have this kind of Western secular form of Buddhism, there there are truth claims in Buddhism. There's sure. patriarchy in Buddhism. Um, you know, Buddhist nuns have to do five times more than than Buddhist monks. So anyway, that that's where I sense that, oh, I think, I think you're missing something here because you were never a Christian. You never got the spiritual benefits of that community um, where you're able to do like he does and take the things that are good and leave the things that are not. And for some people that may be the best that they can do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it goes back to, like I said, there were two things I wanted to talk about, judgment and control. And yeah, I, I so think, go to control. Well, I think did, this is a nice way control? of wrapping up judgment okay. and, and okay. segueing yeah. to control because okay. uh, um, because it's that, it, it's that what one of the main things that broke my Mormon shelf and instigated my Mormon faith crisis was the uh, arrogance, the elitism, the, uh, we are the one true church and everybody else is, you know, like they could get there if they, if they come, you know, just like that whole thing. And when mm -hmm. I saw how much that was getting inside of me, I did not like it. I didn't want it. And so that's, that's this othering this there's, there's us that are the good ones and everybody else that are the bad ones. And when, when you develop that way of looking at the world, it doesn't matter if it's a religion or whatever you're looking at. You just see me good, everybody else bad. And and that's at a very high level, something that I see in Sam Harris that hasn't been woken up out of him. Mm. There's still that, mm. that us versus them. And so what I heard you just say is you saw some hypocrisy because he was like, for me, I can do it this way. But for these other groups, that's, you know, like bad or wrong or whatever and, and that sort of thing. And so th that goes into the control and, and this is external control psychology, which was introduced by William Glasser, who was uh, an American psychiatrist, um, founded what's known as reality theory or choice theory, basically saying that the anxiety that we create for ourselves is when we're out of alignment with reality. And mm -hmm. so a lot of what he's trying to do is just get people back to reality. And a lot of times one of the biggest things that people are doing that are, is pushing against reality is trying to change other people. You're, you're trying mm. to control the actions of others mm. and you put so much time and so much energy into trying to make these changes to other people that you can't do. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And so you're just working yourself up into a state of anxiety over and over again. And he, he suggested 
seven deadly habits of external control psychology. And he said, if, if you've developed these habits, any of these seven, your relationships are probably going to crumble. You're, like your personal mm. relationships, professional relationships, whatever they are. And, and the seven deadly habits of external control psychology are criticizing, blaming, complaining, nagging, threatening, punishing, and bribing. All in the spirit of trying to get somebody else to do things differently than whatever they're going to do. And, and he said the, the thing to uh, the antidote to the seven deadly habits of external control psychology, he, he calls the seven caring habits, are supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, and negotiating differences. So if if there was a way to raise kids in today's day and age, where instead of developing these seven deadly habits of criticizing, blaming, complaining, nagging, threatening, punishing, bribing, which we see all around us everywhere, we were instilling the habits of supporting and encouraging and listening and accepting and trusting and respecting and negotiating differences. Yeah, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get a lot of followers that way, you know, whatever, but to me, when I say dropping judgment, and I'm talking about dropping judgment, I, I'm I'm trying to make that shift from the criticizing, the blaming, the complaining to the listening, supporting, encouraging, respecting. And I think that judgment is that filter that prevents us from doing that, our own internal judgment. I can't accept that because it's too fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't encourage that because it's too, and I'm judging it, you know, and mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you encourage support. It it also says negotiate differences in, yeah. in part of here. So when you see differences, yeah. you got to negotiate them. It's not just burying yeah. your head in the sand. But I asked, I had Bart Campolo on our podcast. He runs human, the podcast um, Humanize Me, mm. son of Tony Campolo, who is a major, major TV evangelist. And uh, he was an evangelist too and had a, had a faith crisis. And so he's kind of the, a leader of um, humanism. And I asked him essentially, yeah, what do you do um, with all these parts of Christianity that are so painful and you're watching these kids being indoctrinated with some of this, right? Um, what what do you do about that? You know, how do you how do you choose to handle that? And he said something really interesting because he's been in this space a lot longer than me and he's he's done it with a lot more um notoriety because he's the son of one of the most famous um, American preachers. And he said, if I wanted, if I didn't care about what people did, I would just live my own life and be happy. And if I did, if it was my goal to convert everyone away from Christianity, I would just live a good life and be happy. Mm -hmm. And so it was essentially his argument. And, and he had to come to this because he, you know, he had a faith journey. And um, when, Christianity was really pushing on him. You know, sometimes he felt in that defensive mode where he had to push back, but he eventually became, came to a place where me just living a good, happy, spiritual whole life outside of Christianity does more for convincing people that it's possible than me, you know, coming at him right. about whatever. Yeah. And I always thought that that was, that was really interesting. And so it's like the balance that for me that I have to find is that um, I want to speak what I feel like is the truth. Is it the truth? No. 
I don't, I don't think that I have ultimate truth or, or any special access to truth. Um, but I want to be honest and I want to be truthful publicly. And I never want to be the kind of person publicly who kind of skirts around the idea of God. Cause I, I like, I just want to say what I think about things. Um, but I also want to do it in a way that I'm kind to my previous self who believed in God because, um, or was Mormon or any of the things, because as soon as you talk in such a way that one of your previous selves would be ashamed, that creates a lack of wholeness within yourself. Mm -hmm. But then also in a way that's, that's really, yeah, kind and accepting and understanding and listening. I mean, just listening to someone is so helpful for someone in a faith transition. Um, and all those things. And so it's like, it, there's a balance there before between all of those healthy habits, which I fully believe in as the best way to negotiate with people who have different beliefs than you. Um, and also when asked or have it, having an opportunity or if I have a platform to be truthful, because I think that that's important too. Yeah. Um, we all we're all having this conversation and us being as truthful as possible um is going to lead us to to better places than than if we were skirting around things so for me i i feel like i have to balance those things yeah 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 good stuff man <laughs> it's hard it's hard being a human why is it so hard <laughs> I I I think it's easier when you get introspective. <laughs> yeah. I I do think it's easier I, it's it's easier Does it get more lonely though? No, I don't think so because You don't think so? No, be, um you know, I I I've I created a coaching group a year and a half ago. Um and the people in this group have become such close friends and it's all it's all based on these ideas of let's let's accept each other and not judge each other and so that the things that they're able to share with each other in that in that group um it's it's not lonely it's the opposite of lonely it's it's kind of like i i keep hearing them talk about how it's the um I, I mean, I don't want to, it's not like me patting myself on the back, but it's, it's the, these principles at play when people are really interacting with one another, um, coming from very different perspectives, uh, sharing a lot of different things, sharing things that would be embarrassing with each other. And they get that acceptance and they learn how to be more accepting of themselves. And they learn how to be more accepting of others because they're having this direct experience doing mm -hmm. it. It's not lonely. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, yeah, I when have, you can be introspective as a group. Yeah. I have that like in my post-Mormon group or it's, it's called post-Orthodoxy group. Cause there's some mm. people who are still active. It's a Mormon spectrum group here in Boise. And I, I definitely have that of people like you've been like really just naked emotionally with, and who have been able to hold that and, and still accept that and not judge that and even love you after that experience, which yeah. is, it's one of the best things that you could possibly experience being human is being totally naked with someone and having them not reject you or yeah. really having them show compassion or love in that space. And so I definitely, 
feel that and feel that intimacy of people who are willing to kind of do this work and have these kinds of conversations with me. I think sometimes though in the in the wider broader world I can feel a little bit more lonely because everybody has a camp and they're super invested in their camp. Yeah. And I just can't go there with you. You know, I yeah. whatever the nutrition thing is or whatever the pol- the politics and whatever the conversation is like um, that space can sometimes feel lonely because it's like, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a camp like that, yeah. you know, where, where you just feel so sure about whatever it is, vaccines or, or doesn't matter what the thing is. Um, yeah, that space, I can feel a little bit lonely because it's like, I'm, I'm not going to go right. there with you. Sorry. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I, what we were talking about at the beginning too, just the, the, that sense of like me feeling disconnected from the audience of infants on thrones and not really knowing, am I, it, it is, is this resonating with people or is it not resonating <laughs> with people there? So there is that sense of loneliness there, but, but I, and I also do like when I'm um, in different conversations with different people, I'll notice that they're talking about things that are, they're criticizing, they're blaming, they're complaining, they're nagging, they're doing these seven deadly habits that every time you do that, you're reinforcing it. And so I don't, I withdraw from that. And that makes it kind of lonely too. And I think it makes the people around me go like, where did Glenn go? Why isn't Glenn like he used to be so good at I criticizing w- I w- this stuff. Yeah. I wish I wish that I would withdraw. I tend to like play devil's advocate because I really enjoy debating and I really mm. love discussions. And yeah. so I'll I'll start pushing back or like poking holes in it. And then it's just <laughs> I I wish that I just withdrew because I can get myself into, you know, if I feel like someone's being unfair or someone's kind of gone too far down whatever their cult rabbit hole is you know i'll find myself defending mormonism defending joseph smith defending conservatism like places that i usually don't even go right um just because i think they're being so unfair just just to ask them to kind of stretch their view a little bit like think about it from this perspective yeah let me just poke some holes in this because that's that's fun for me i don't get offended by that but people who but you know, people can get really offended or are really ruffled by that. And so I have kind of I have pushed on relationships in that way that that's probably not helpful. But well, Brett, I think the like, hang on. I have one I'm more gonna, thing. Yeah. Okay. No, I go. do. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna read these seven caring, caring habits again. Okay. Supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, and negotiating differences. You can push back on other people as a form of encouragement. You know, like you can encourage them to think about it from another perspective. But I think as part of that, you really need to be listening and accepting and supporting, like validating their position, respecting their position, trusting that they come to their position for really like valid reasons. Oh, and, and honestly, encourage. everybody comes to their beliefs, honestly. Completely. Yeah. So yeah. I may be poking because it's fun for me. And sometimes I have to realize that it's not fun for other people, but I'm not yeah. expecting the person to change. I think, I think the, the group of people that I have the most like compassion towards who are doing this, the unhealthy habits is I have so many clients come in where mom they're they've had a faith transition mom is still in and mom's whole life was centered on if you do these things your kids will go on this path mm-hmm. and they will honor you 
for the rest of your life and eternity. That's the deal that they signed up for, that they sacrificed everything for. That was their deal. And so when that changed, which reflects, of course, on their ego and that deal that they made, then I see this whole generation of, of Mormon moms really struggling with their faith crisis kids Mm. and trying to threaten or blame, or I'm just going to send you this talk or, um, you know, I'll come, I'll, I'll come for the weekend. If I can take the kids to church on Sunday. I mean, like really they're causing so much suffering for themselves and for everyone else around them because they essentially made this deal. And then, when that deal changed, they're trying to change the world and change everyone in it so that they can get essentially what what they bargained for. Mm. And I, I think that I just see a lot of pain in that space. So when you said all those healthy habits, I just thought of some of that generation, moms and dads who are trying to kind of manipulate the world or their kids or their grandkids to the certain worldview that they are holding to because they sacrifice so much into that worldview and it's just causing a lot of suffering. Yeah. Because of their judgment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just, I mean, I, I, I can't even think of a client I've had who hasn't said like my, my mom not being able to listen to me yeah. or like validate my experience. These people like, it, it, it's been more painful to them than like a death yeah. because it's so painful to have an experience and have this person that you love not be able to hear you. Yeah. And that's like the collective Mormon pain of, yeah. of everyone who's been in a faith crisis. And, yeah. and the collective Mormon opportunity to learn from that and go, Oh, I'm not going to be a hypocrite in this area. I have, I have experienced firsthand how it feels to be the recipient of someone else's judgment where they're not accepting me for who I am. I'm not going to yeah. do that to other people. Isn't that so funny? Do you not want to blow your brains out when you see ex-Mormons be like, I don't want my kids to play with other kids who believe that Joseph Smith was this kind of person. And it's like, you are doing to them exactly what they did to you. Do yeah. you not see it? Yeah. Like, we've got to outgrow grow this we're just hurting each other and then we get hurt and then we yeah. hurt each other more and it's like you know yeah but, but it's so silly it is hard to see yourself and that's where the introspective it is hard to see yourself. the introspective work like learning what are these patterns that are in me that i'm just automatically playing i don't even stop to think about what i'm doing it's just there uh yeah that's that's what i'm interested in Brett. Okay. Let's keep doing. Cool. I I vote for keep doing that right. even though it's not always like super sexy. I I just feel so strongly that that is such a valuable voice in the world is just what about me? Like right. what what am how am I doing? W- will you keep um, helping me with conversations like I'm, these? I will always be here for these right. kinds of conversations. That's I don't good. know if anyone's listening. It could just be you and me. But be. I had I had a hell of a time and good. um If you appreciate Glenn's approach to things, please let him know. (laughs) Third time. Thank you. And I want to see, yeah. And then Glenn, let me know how the audience is feeling, feeling it. All right. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. 
Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune him to the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on